the strongest expressed need for space was for collaborative spaces, for meeting spaces, spaces where we can have a creative discussion or or, or catch up with someone uh, that we haven't seen face to face in a long time. That's so it's 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 connection really that you're yeah. you're hearing is that the space should should support connection and collaboration, and really you know not to be too esoteric about it, but it's community. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're creating, you're using space to create, facilitate community in the workforce. Um, Welcome to Think Beyond Space, the PDX Workplace Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Blake St. Ange, principal for the Portland office of Cressa, a global corporate real estate firm. From the people, the culture, and their thoughts on the future of work, we sit down with leaders from Portland's most respected companies to learn about what makes their workplaces tick. We also dive into the commercial real estate markets and workplace trends that will help shape the future of business in Portland for years to come. Subscribe at Cressa.com slash Portland or wherever you find your podcasts. Welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to have a good friend of mine and the director of real estate and facilities for Legacy Health, Jim Gossett, with us this afternoon. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Blake. Appreciate it. Yeah. Slight correction in the title, Director of Real Estate and Property Management, not Facilities. I okay. want to take, take credit for that. There, there we go. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks Happy for the correction. So, Jim, for those that that may not know uh, you or Legacy, I'm su- I would be very surprised if people don't know Legacy. But sure. just, just talk a little bit about, you know, your career journey, where you are yeah. today, how you got here. And then we'll start from there and then we'll, we'll yeah, we'll go, we'll, we'll start there. Yeah, I'll try to give you a, a, an interesting version of of my resume here, and and so it might might be uh, engaging for your for your audience. Uh, but you know, my career journey actually you know was goes back to my um, education in uh, finance and accounting. Went to college at SPU and was really interested in the CPA track. In fact, I was I was pretty gung gung ho about it. And I went through the the rounds of hiring. Was offered a job by a firm that then that went belly up. Um, in the, as a result of, I can't remember at the, right now off, off the top of my head if it was the Enron scandal or if it was WorldCom. But one of those two, it was an Arthur Anderson firm. So I was I was out of, I was out of luck. I was scrambling for for work and had some some friends down here in, in Portland. I was up in Seattle at the time and came down. And one of my strengths, I felt like, was was analysis. And I always liked real estate. Uh, going to school in Seattle, there was a ton of construction at the time, and pretty much continued to pace over the last twenty years. And I liked that that tangible aspect of real estate, but I also wanted to to use my my business background. So I uh, took a job as an analyst with Kinder Care Learning Centers, which they were headquartered here in Portland. Had recently, you know, I think they had been in town for three, four, five years at, at the time, but had um, a strong a strong headquarters presence here in Portland, as well as a national footprint. Um, I think at the time, about 1,200 locations. So I got to start, cut my teeth on, on uh, financial analysis, which was pretty natural for me, but I also got exposed to demographics analysis, operations of a multi, in a multi-site retail environment, working with various uh, levels of leadership in the organization, including CEO all the way down to, you know, center directors and in everyone in between on, on the corporate side. So I, I look back and consider that to be a really great introduction into both real estate and corporate America, because as an analyst, you're one, you have to dig into the details 
of, of an operation and understand kind of what the what the success drivers are, uh, where where a lot of your expenses are, you know, how much of a of a swing in revenue do you need to turn an operation profitable? And that was that was a really good experience. Um, you know, site selection wise, I actually remember not having a real strong interest in in being a deal maker or a real estate manager. I kind of thought their lives are. Pretty, pretty stressful and miserable <laughs> road warriors. And, you know, at the time that really was the game. Like yeah. you had to be out in the field, pounding the pavement, right. working with brokers, you know, sleazy brokers. No, no, I'm teasing. Blake. <laughs> um, that, that, you know, and, and they just did not seem like happy, happy people at the time. You know, I, yeah. I look back and I'm like, I'm sure I've been there, been there since myself, but, you know, kinder care was, was a, again, a good opportunity for me to, to get the introduction to all sorts of um, aspects of corporate America. But then they went through, I was promoted, um, but right <laughs> to a real estate manager position uh, as a result of a lot of restructuring within the department. My first deal I was going to, I was going to present was the meeting was canceled and they announced they had merged um, with, with another, with another entity. They were actually acquired by a smaller operation. Children's world was the brand owned by um, Mike Milken in his, his organization. And so that was a great experience for me to go through a merger of two, two large operations and the rationalization of the real estate portfolio. And also, you know, it was a lot of uncertainty and, and getting comfortable with, with kind of an amb- ambiguous and uncertain workplace and just being able to, to keep your head down and to keep doing good work. And, and um, often you benefit from that. And right. so my the benefit for me was, I got to manage um, a you know aspects of the rationalization, including you know deal analysis, analyzing the portfolio, but also then was assigned a portfolio management role, uh, which then gave me an opportunity to start negotiating. And I'm yeah. sure I was a horrible negotiator at first, <laughs> but 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 learned learned on the job. I'm sure you know, yeah. I probably made some bad some bad deals here or there, or or got taken. But I did I did start to learn you know the the dialogue with landlords or. Uh, uh, and how that would would play out, um, uh, and some of what the success drivers were for 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 negotiations, and so that was a good opportunity for me. And that lasted, you know, I was with Kindercare for about five years, and then took a job with with Umquad Bank, and I was there for nine years, and that's how you and I met, Blake. Yeah. Um, and I had roles at Umqua that included a lot of what I had done at Kindercare. Um, so there was there was some real estate site selection and analytical work, as well as lease administration, which was new to me. So I got mm-hmm. to cut my teeth on on lease admin and building my skill set there, and including building a database and supporting the organization as they looked at you know systematizing their their lease admin. Not a huge portfolio at the time, and they're you know modestly sized now, but you know was felt in in hindsight it was. Ju- was kind of leaving leaving kinder care after I felt like it was a good run, but I and I thought I was going to a stable industry. And it was right right at the start of the banking crisis, oh, but that was a really great experience for me to be able to see leadership um, under Ray Davis and other executives at Umqua, who had kind of foreseen the banking crisis and had put themselves in a really good position to to weather it, and had were able to take advantage of of opportunities presented. To, to them, um, either by competitors or even from the FDIC, uh, assigning rights to Tumqua to pick up struggling, struggling or failing banks that yeah. that uh, that needed to be taken over. So that was a really great opportunity for me to see one crisis management and good leadership um, in the midst of that, and and also though still uh, um, learning learning the real estate business and, and um, I had 
through, you know, the course of, of my career there went, you know, went from kind of a real estate manager slash lease admin uh, up to real estate director. So I got to have a build a team or inherited a team and then built, built a little bit more, a couple of real estate managers and we said, lease least admin. And that was a great experience um, to, to be able to do that, to be able to learn how to learn how to be a leader. And again, I'm certainly not, not flawless in that regard, but I did have really good, really good people at Umqua that I, that I worked with. And, yeah. and you know, it, that was another business to learn. So that was, you know, but it's, it's completely different from childcare, obviously, yeah. but, but some of the principles are the same. They're still, you know, in one case, you're taking care of uh, people's most cherished, cherished uh, relationship, their cherished possession of kids. And the, the other one, you're their money. And, yeah. and what drives the success in banking and right. retail banking in particular, oh. um, and and what what is you know the difference the differences in 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 what contribute contributes to a successful location in childcare versus versus banking they're completely yeah. different drivers, and, and economics as well. So let's see, you know, and Umqua um, that you know that so that was a nine year run. Um, and I was looking for, looking for a challenge, um, a new, a new industry, potentially I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, set on staying with banking, but I wanted to stay with real estate and was presented with an opportunity to come into my current role here at legacy about four years ago now. So I, it, you know, my role is shifted for, to not just real estate, but property management as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at Legacy, so we take care of our our physicians um, who are in our medical office building portfolio, as well as our uh, Legacy Medical Group clinic clinics that are off campus as well as on on campus. So you know, my I have a small team here, uh, a project manager and a, a project specialist, uh, property specialist, I should say, and we you know it's it's lease admin, it's deal deal management site selection as well as the project management piece for for building out new clinic spaces and managing those on behalf of our of our tenants who, who typically do not manage their own their own build outs so yeah. so yeah going from analysis all the way up to you know director director role and have project management and, and so i feel like it's you know been real estate has been kind to to me and i think it's a great opportunity for a lot of a lot of folks that are business and analytically minded um, to gain a really broad range of experiences in an organization. Yeah. Yeah. So, so going from kinder care, you know, 1200 locations, mm-hmm. you know, roughly, you know, Umqua probably 350 to 400 at a certain, certain period of time. Yep. So yep. a lot of yep. locations and then going to legacy, yep. which is not yeah. many locations, but you've got, it's almost like you have that amount of locations just in terms of the mm-hmm. tenancy you have, right? I mean, yep. larger yep. locations, but multiple yeah. Those. A lot of square footage, a lot of tenants. Yeah. Um, so we have, you know, the portfolio is the whole portfolio, including including hospitals around. Gosh, I want to say close to seven million, six and a half million. You know, of that MOB space is is around a million million square foot mark, and then we have about uh, which in this it's about two hundred and fifty spaces within that medical office building portfolio and then we have our off-campus locations including administrative space but that's about 40 45 locations that are are leased so you know it's it's smaller than than even umqua in the in in terms of number but right locations but the certain square footage it's a completely different different animal non-profit space versus banking versus childcare. and what was it like to learn i mean learn I mean, there's so many different parts of mm-hmm. I mean, banking and one thing and then healthcare and another, right? Yeah. And what, yeah. You know, the learning curve of that, what, 
With the well, I think it, I mean, and so there's, yeah, there's regulatory requirements. That, you know, banking is highly regulated, as is childcare, actually, of course. But, but you know, in with respect to real estate and healthcare, um, you know, one critical aspect that I hadn't learned and was even introduced to this in a, when I was a candidate was was Stark Law, which which is which is uh, dictates. Um, the nature of, of the deals that we can offer to our private practice physicians, you know, you can, you can imagine that we cannot offer physicians favorable terms to be on campus in exchange for their, their activity within, within our hospital, our health system. So that's one aspect that, that does, does constrain me in, in, in not in a bad way, but, but nonetheless, it does constrain me in terms of the deals that I can offer private mm-hmm. practice physicians. And I, and I think different systems interpret Stark Law a little bit differently, but, yeah. but it's, um, it's really important that we, that we abide by those rules. But in terms of the organizational behavior, there's, you know, nonprofit, it is a slower, a little bit slower pace. It's a more collaborative decision-making process, which I think is, it can be a really healthy thing. It can, it can, it can slow things down, but it's not necessarily subject to the whims of, of one leader or another that's, that happens to be persuasive. There's a, a budgeting process that's a little bit different than a lot of for-profit entities. And sometimes, you know, the margins are, are thinner. And so you have sometimes less, it's a large organization, but you, you may have a little bit fewer resources to work with right. in the nonprofit sector versus one that's a for-profit, um, yeah. like um, um, for all things being equal. So that that that's it, that's been a good exercise though because it, it requires you to look out ahead and be yeah. resourceful and a little more strategic about how you approach projects or site acquisition or disposition opportunities. And so with with legacy, I mean, obviously in the healthcare space, the last twelve months has been crazy in the healthcare space mm-hmm. and all things mm-hmm. considered. So, what's it been like being a leader at at legacy over the last 12, 12 months? I mean, what's yeah what sort of that look well, like? And I really feel. I mean, I'm really you know, honored to be a part of legacy. And I think it, it, because I, I say that because we, we work with, we have a lot of really great leaders uh, from the CEO through the, the SVP and VP ranks that have really helped give, you know, give everyone in the organization a sense of, I don't know. I, I felt very comforted by, by legacy's approach to both taking care of their workforce and, and, and the community and the patients and in the way they communicated really clearly from the start yeah. of, of the pandemic about what was happening, why we were making certain decisions that could be shared and, and what was, what was going to come, come next as best they knew it. And if things changed, they would communicate that. So that's been, that's been a really positive experience in a way, but certainly, you know, stressful for organization, but exhilarating in some senses too. Like, yeah, like yeah. it's a, it's a paradigm shift in the way one legacy was delivering care for a while. That may not, that's, maybe not a, a dramatic or permanent change, but certainly the way we're doing business as an organization, um, being first forced to work from home, yeah. seeing that as an opportunity, and now thinking about how how and what to make make permanent for for legacy. And I think a lot of organizations are are experiencing that right now. But yeah, it's been it's it's been quite quite the year as as a health system. And I'm not a care provider. I'm married right. to one, working for a different health system. Um, and I know that there's been, you know, there's a lot of heroes out there. And certainly, you know, I I anyone that's in the in in a clinic or in the hospital, you know, deserves a, a, a quite a bit of respect and appreciation and applause um, for, for the way they've handled, handled that this, this past year, because I think 
you know, there was, there was a lot of, a lot of risk to the system if we didn't handle it well. And I think, right. I think, you know, even, even um, local and state governments have done a pretty good job. And I think our health systems have done a really excellent job of, of handling this and, and making sure that, that, you know, frankly, the health systems stayed, stayed up and yeah. were able to take care for people in, it, right. in, in the way they needed to be. So, yeah. What's the total from an employee perspective? How, what's mm-hmm. the total employees that you that that legacy has from an? I think we're close to non clinic. Yeah. Or? Well, we're fourteen thousand in total. I think 14,000. 14, 14, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I I'd have to. I that number rings true. About 15 percent of that is is what we call our system office administration. So, that's those are the departments that support the field operations, the clinical and, and hospital based departments. Yeah. Um, so care, care, you know, the actual care providers, I can't remember how many physicians we and other practitioners we have working for us. I mean, it's certainly in the thousands and then, yeah. you know, you have the, the, the floor nurses and uh, administrators and support staff that, that work, work for legacy. Um, so it's, you know, it's roughly 90% of our workforce is either, providing care or direct support of care providers versus me in a back office for right, corporate, right. corporate function. Yeah. So, so March of last year when everything mm-hmm. put, if you will. Um, so with, you know, 1200, 1500 people, what was the, I mean, were, were you guys sort of prepared? No, I wouldn't say you might've been more prepared yeah. than others because in the healthcare yeah. space is one thing, but the other piece is, were you guys already on a track to do sort of cloud-based remote policy stuff? Or was that, right. were you guys sort of not even thinking about it. And then all of a sudden, boom, you got yeah. to do it. And then what does that, what did that look like initially? And then maybe that would yeah. look like now. So there are certain departments that did have, um, that were, that, that, that were trying to move towards a remote work environment, but, and there was, there was some willingness on the part of the organization to support that and um, for, for leaders that were really driving that conversation, but that wasn't a huge portion of our workforce. There was some flex, I think, organizational flexibility, depending on who you reported to, to work a little bit outside the office, you know, but, but generally speaking, there was an expectation that we would, we would be present to support the hospitals as, as, and each other as we worked, as we worked together. Um, and, and so, but I, so I would say in general, it was, you know, the attitude towards hybrid or remote work was, was fairly lukewarm. And, and there was certainly no, not a lot of energy behind developing a program for our entire workforce right. to, to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our, our leaders did, I mean, acknowledge, I think that, you know, while we were using our, our, our office space spaces efficiently um, in terms of, you know, headcount per, you know, per square foot that we you know, um, happen to have kind of a, a, a fairly, fairly old portfolio of, of office space, one that was fragmented, um, one that wasn't maybe creating the most optimal work environment. So there were some conversations about how to m- make advances in, in that area, the physical, the built environment that just happened to coincide with then now, oh, now we're working remote. Well, yeah. What do we do next? Do, yeah. we, do we go back and do we, do we, assign an office for every, for every employee, um, when, when it's, when it's safe to go back, or do we think of something different? So, so we're in that process now of dialoguing about, about that. Um, and it's, it's been really, it's been, you know, we, we feel like remote work has been a success. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of organizations I think are, are coming to that conclusion, but we don't want to be fully remote necessarily forever. Right. But what, to what extent do we need to be together physically 
and what kind of space is needed to support that. Yeah. I think that's a really good, you know, we're asking those questions and coming to some preliminary answers. And I think a lot of organizations are doing that from, yeah. from what I've heard from, from peers in the industry. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's certainly, I think what we've found too is, is depending on the size of the organization, if you're a, if you're a sort of a smaller organization, maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 people or so, the question is, do you need to have a physical mm-hmm. space, right? With that sort of, you know, it can yeah. be distributed. Yeah. But as you get into the mid and and larger size, obviously, you know, legacy being on the large size with that many employees, you realize that that physical space is a is a deep connector to people. So long as it's yeah. there's a yeah. there's a there's an appropriate purpose for that. And I think people are thinking more intentionally about the purpose and about the why yeah. and about building that yeah. culture. And so just curious what sort of, what sort of uh, findings yeah. you guys are seeing when you're, you know, doing some of these yeah. surveys and is it, I'm yeah. sure it's a spectrum based upon, you know, division and manager, but just curious what, mm-hmm. what you guys are seeing. Yeah, we've, we've had, um, we did have uh, an employee experience survey and we received some, some feedback from our, our workforce about what kinds of spaces are, are desired and, and how many days a week do, do our folks want to be in the office? This is self-reporting kind of what, what they believe their own office space needs are and, and why they would want to come into the office. And I can, I, I think I can share safely that, that there's a, there's a strong appetite for, for permanent continued work, remote work by a large percentage of our, of our workforce. It, you know, and how, how we're going to accommodate that exactly. I think we're, we're still dialoguing about and how much, how much self, so uh, how much preference we give to our workforce versus versus how much we put in the managers or your senior leadership's hands to decide upon. But the, you know, the, the strongest, you know, expressed need for space was for collaborative spaces, for meeting spaces, spaces where we can have a creative discussion or, or, or catch up with someone uh, that we haven't seen face to face in a long time. That's so it's, it's, it's connection really that you're, yeah. you're hearing is that the space should, should support connection and collaboration and really, you know, not to be too esoteric about it, but it's community. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're creating, you're using space to create, facilitate community in your workforce. Um, and that, so that was revealing to me. It's not necessarily people, so, some people are pretty attached to an office, but they, I think they realize, boy, I don't have to commute. Now I'll, I'll give it my office, but boy, I need to, I need to see some people face to face sometime. Right. And, and um, including, you know, the neighborhood you pick for, for your office, that's a, that it's a, it's a material qualitative factor, the type, you know, the type of, of environment that surrounds your office space is, yeah. is, is almost as important as the office itself. So. Yeah. I think we're, we're definitely seeing that too. I mean, it's, it's uh, again, back to that intentionality, right? Like it's just certain micro neighborhoods and not just Portland, but other, other, you know, cities across the country. Like it's just, that, yeah. that is an, that is absolutely an important, important factor. Yeah. Yeah. So where, where do you guys sit in the journey now? Are you still sort of in the, on the 50 yard line of sort of making some, some plans um, or are you closer? Yeah, to we've, down? we're, I think we're closer to, you know, making, making some decisions about the size of space that we need. Yeah. I mean, we have a preliminary target and we see an opportunity to, to be more efficient in our footprint. We have not, you know, selected an alternative site or made any, any final decisions about what to do with our existing portfolio. But, yeah. but certainly, you know, organizations that have like legacy, we own our assets. We, we have quite a bit of capital tied up, of course, you know, the hospital systems, the MLBs, but also our administrative portfolio. Right. And so does it make sense? Um, can we, can we, can we achieve our objectives by 
repurposing our existing portfolio? Is it, does it make sense for us to, you know, keep a portion, sell off a portion or to go to, you know, option number three, you know, a lease space or somewhere, somewhere right. in between. So we're analyzing all those things. And I think, yeah. I think it's, it's, it, you know, as most, most corporations around, around the country have find it's, it's, unless it's, it's a critical operation such as a hospital or a manufacturing plant, typically you don't need to own. And I'm not saying it's a bad decision to have right. owned in the past, yeah. but because there's, there's a, there's, you know, as, as we are, you know, having our personal lives, you typically want to own your own home eventually, although there it comes with some, some obligations, some burdens, oh, yeah. you got a lot of maintenance, you got a lot of capital repairs. Yep. Um, you don't have a lot of flexibility to, to, to grow or shrink your, your footprint when you own. And I think we're, we're kind of wrestling through those questions. So, you know, my, my, my personal opinion is, is that an organization like legacy but I won't, you know, I'm not going to speak in my official capacity for legacy is that yeah. like, it's, it's probably you, you can maybe have your cake and eat it too by, by leasing, leasing a space as opposed, as opposed to owning it in, in terms of you can have an updated, uh, efficient, consolidated space and still have use of your capital for more critical operations, yeah. but you have to budget for the, for the rent that you're going to incur. Right, so right. it's yep. an interesting it's an interesting exercise for legacy to, to go through that. And, and, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens um, uh, during the course of, of the next, next few months in terms of official yeah. decision, the permanent decisions made, but it's exciting to be a part of it. And I'm happy yeah. to, you know, by just be able to support that effort to, to create a strategy uh, that supports our, our 10, 15, 20 year plan for our system office. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty transformational, truly. I mean, because it, yeah, it know, really it, can be, it's never been, you know, sort of been disparate. And so it's a, that's a yeah. pretty big transformational yeah. change. In that. Yeah. I think a lot of organizations maybe that have under undervalued the opportunity of a, of a workplace to drive culture change and collaboration. And I think, you know, a lot of tech firms, maybe they recognize that just by the nature of, of say, you know, they're, they're in the business of innovating. Um, and um, a lot of firms though. So, you know, certainly, Public public entities, utilities, older industries, you know, may and may have a legacy, no pun intended, of, of something something other yeah. than that, and haven't shifted that quickly. But I think it's a real opportunity for, for not just legacy, legacy, but a lot of organizations to say the the look and the feel and, and the design of a building can have a huge impact on uh, a work a workplace quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, you know, talking to somebody uh, a little bit ago, and you know, they were together on three or four floors and you know they realize that their next plan is they want to all be together on one floor so they're taking you know it's a right. they're looking at less square footed because they felt like it was almost like this tiered situation with the floors you know some group sure is you know on different floor and another in you'd think sure well they're all they're all together i mean they're all in the same yeah. building but the reality yeah. is, is like getting that culture back getting that connectivity <laughs> that connective tissue that community like you're talking about you know yeah. all together um that's where, you know, some really inspiring things can take place. So. Yeah. And it takes, it takes, you know, both space and you got, you really do have to be intentional about your, your cultural values too. Right. Um, but you, it's, it's difficult to have a, a strong culture without a good, without a suitable space and, and vice versa. Right. Right. So yeah. yeah. And it takes strong leadership too. Right. I mean, it takes strong yeah. leadership yeah. To, to take a stand and, and listen to the employees, do the surveys, do those sorts of things, but then, you know, take a position and go and, and execute. And, yeah. And execute. Yeah. yeah. What are the what are some of the things that that you know that you've learned uh, as Jim? Uh, you know, the last twelve months. I mean, um, we know each other well, so you know, you've got yeah. you know, not just 
you know, a couple kids at home, but more. And, you know, um, yeah. what have you learned as, as just a human in the last, in the last year? I mean, you know, some of the things that, that, that yeah. you've done. Well, I think, I think COVID, you know, this is just setting aside real estate for a minute. I think COVID has definitely the social distancing and, and, and the, the shutting down of really public, public places where we can, where you can engage, um, um, in, whether it's work or shopping or, or going out to eat it, um, or places of worship. Like, I think it's really shown me, not that I didn't know before, but how critical it is for you to be in, for a person to be in community yeah. and how much that affects all aspects of, of health. And that's, you know, that, that's, that's no mystery, you know, to social scientists, but I think it's easy to just, you know, if you're maybe a little more introverted by nature, to say, I don't, I don't need people, you know, I can just, mm-hmm. I can just stay at home and do my work, which it's great to do that, to, to not have a commute. Um, maybe, you know, there's <laughs> perhaps people have annoying coworkers or just, right. you know, or they just, <laughs> right. they just prefer to be in their own home. Yeah. And there's a lot of positives to that, including time spent with loved ones, but both in the workplace, as well as the rest of our, our lives, um, when, when there's a circumstance that prevents you from engaging in the way you, you need to, it really, it really throws you off balance and it calls into question a lot of things. Like even, you know, you're seeing a lot of people migrate to all area, all parts of the country because they they're disconnected from their workplace. You can work yeah. remote now when they, they can't see family anymore. So let's move to Nebraska or not Nebraska, perhaps nothing against Nebraska, but let's move to Montana. <laughs> let's move to, yeah. let's move to, uh, you know, here in the Portland area, hey, let's move to Bend. But I think I, I suspect that people are going to find they're not going to be happy unless they can establish new communities. Yeah. Um, where they're in their, in their, in their, where they're going to locate. And, and we're not going to, we're not going to feel like things are back to normal, even if, you know, what, until we can really engage um, socially in a, in a, you know, physically, you know, hug someone, go to a yeah. concert, go to a football game, um, you know, uh, when the danger of, of having another out, you know, an out, another outbreak or surge has passed. So that was, that was interesting you know, not that, you know, not that I hadn't thought about that before, but it was really, really driven home to me. And, and I've seen it in my kids, you know, and my, and my wife, like it's, it's, you know, we have each other, which is great. We have our neighbors, we get to see them, but boy, it's the feelings of loneliness are really prevalent. You see a lot of people responding to that in, in really some healthy ways, but a lot of unhealthy ways. Like, right. you know, yeah. you could talk about substance abuse and, and drinking and, and, and other negative behaviors that, uh, you're seeing a lot, a lot more of, and I really hope that that we find a way to to correct as a, as a community, as a, as a, as a country, um, when this is all over. Yeah, so, I think that's, um, yeah, yeah. I think that 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 sense of community. I think there's there's if our heads are so far down when we're you know sort of pre-COVID and just focused on you know what's right in front of us and maybe within the four walls of our our homes or, or and work, mm-hmm. right? It didn't really give us a it would never give us a chance to, to pick our head up and realize the importance of community and friendship yeah, and, and yeah. loved ones. Right. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, I've heard so many times that, you know, people might have lived in a certain area of town or certain, like you said, a certain part of the country and they, and then COVID hit and it's like, wow, like I like this place, but I don't really have anybody around me to sort of share mm-hmm. it with. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah. and yeah. that's a really, I mean, to, to mental health, to, physical health too, right? Like it, it's all intertwined yeah. and you realize that, that community is such a in connection and just, I don't know, yeah. I mean, we've all seen the yeah. humanness of people too. We've been able to, you know, I'm looking at you with, you know, the Home Depot in the background and I'm, you know, you're looking at me <laughs> with, you know, 
you know, I'm in this yeah. spot, right? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, we just, yeah. have, we've all sort of come to have some, a little bit of grace for people. And there's a humanness there yeah. that I think is real that yeah. hopefully stays. Yeah. Yeah. I think it will. And I do hope that we can, you know, find and, and maintain healthy boundaries between work life, even if we are doing working from working our jobs from home. Um, but, but also engage intentionally with you, with each other in, in a community. And I know a lot of people would scoff at that, but you know, uh, I just, I, I think if, the more, the more I dig into it, the more convinced, like even, even really deep rooted problems that go, you know, that are systemic in the country, whether it's, whether it's the opioid crisis or the feeling of, of, you know, disaffection or, or alienation that, that a lot of, a lot of the country is feeling, maybe even that put some, some political, uh, or politicians in power is is a breakdown in a dysfunction of a community but you know i i'm not this i'm not a professor in, or a, a researcher in social sciences and it's kind of outside of my lane but but um but you can see that in an organization you yeah know, and it's and it, and it actually does have real real estate implications it has a big real estate implications because you know like starbucks as an example their their business model is predicated on giving people a third place right mm-hmm. well what happens when you can't go to that third place or people don't see the need for that place mm-hmm. like there's um it has you know, what about you know you could t- you could talk about the restaurant industry in general not just starbucks as a, as a cafe but you know when when people don't aren't getting out as much talk about bowling alleys movie theaters other re- other retailers, um, it's changed. You know, COVID has changed behaviors, and maybe permanently. In many cases, they're permanently in certain industries. And I think landlords, in particular, but but also you know operators um, of businesses are having to think through. Like, well, you have a huge investment in your physical plant. What do you do right. when behavior changes? Yeah, um, including you know back to the discussion about how much office space we need. Right. I, right. I, I really think you know smart landlords forward-thinking landlords are going to be fine, but um, but there's going to be a lot of folks that are going to have to make make some hard decisions about about their portfolio here. Yeah, and I think, yeah. and I think you know, from an occupier perspective too, right? Like in small yeah. business or entrepreneurs, like we've seen that it can be it's it's been crushing, you know. And I think in some cases, you know, small yeah. small businesses or entrepreneurs have have tried to simplify all the things that they have been, you know, been building in sure. some cases they've simplified it. Like, what is it that makes us yeah. unique and different? Let's focus on those pieces. Right. The other things that we've right. been doing tangentially, let's either let those go or we have to let those go yeah. because it's going to sink the yeah. ship if we don't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you had a chance to sit down uh, with anybody in history, past or present for a cocktail, a coffee and ice cream, whatever, <laughs> um, who might that be and, and why? That's a good, I, I, that's a good question. I, I mean, there's, I, I'm a huge history buff and I love, I love history. Um, there's some really fascinating people out there that I would love to meet. I think I would probably, you know, in modern history, I gotta, I gotta lean towards. This is, um, this can go back for as far as I know, you know, that's so hard. You can't, can you give me five options, Blake? No, Um, no. Okay. The one, (laughs) the one person that, I mean, okay. So I am, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And so, you know, certainly I'd have to say, um, as, as that, that Jesus Christ would be, would, yeah. I would be remiss if, if I didn't have yeah. a chance to, to say, you know, I'd interact with him, um, in, in, in that, but if I had, if I had to pick a second, can you give me two? Yes. Yes. That, okay. That's, okay. that's fair. That is okay. fair. Maybe so, you'd have maybe you'd have coffee with with Jesus and then cocktail coffee with maybe Jesus. someone else. Well, you know Jesus made made wine, yeah, so maybe I do have 
Maybe, so, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, that is I'm true. curious if Jesus had coffee. I don't know about that. Okay, so uh, option two. I got to say Teddy Roosevelt. He's one of my favorite polit- modern politicians. Um, you know, that was that was actually not an easy easy pick for me. But I think he, his energy, his yeah. like that's the thing I admire about about some people. Like I, I don't consider myself a super high energy person. You kind of have to when you have four kids and a, a full time <laughs> job. And you get up and go. And but but he did so much and so early in his life. And you know, like he just, I mean, the guy got shot in the chest and kept his speaking engagement and then went to the hospital and, you know, he chased down people, people that rustled his cattle. And, and I think he, if I remember my book correctly, I think he had him hung in, in the, by the town sheriff after he, after he caught him in the wilderness of North Dakota. I mean, the guy was just a tough, a tough cookie and super, super smart. So yeah. Yeah. And imperialist, I would, you know, I'm, I'm rethinking my, my attitude towards American expansion lately, but, but nonetheless, a really interesting guy. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Teddy, Teddy TR. So uh, for those who might want to learn more about legacy, about the health system, where can they go to, to, to learn more? Well, we do have, you know, our, our comms team, our external communications team um, does, I believe, have a, a social media presence. Certainly our website, um, legacy, um, legacyhealth.org. Um, you know, we have great physicians, great nursing staff. I mean, I've, I've had nothing but positive experiences as, as a patient as I needed medical care working for Legacy. And so I'd highly recommend if you have the option um, um, of of seeking care from legacy. Like I would, I would, you know, there's, there's some really great specialists and general, general care, uh, general practitioners. So certainly, certainly, you know, as a patient, if you're in the Portland metro area um, down to Silverton or, or in, in Vancouver, or Salmon Creek, it's a great place to receive care. Um, you know, I don't have much of a social media presence, but I am on LinkedIn. I'm yep. happy to, to talk to people via LinkedIn. Okay. Um, about about legacy or my career journey, check us check us out. Um, ha- and happy to happy to dialogue further about uh, with anybody that wants to, to look me up. So, yeah, Jim Jim Gossett, Legacy Health. You can just do do a quick search on LinkedIn and find you that way. Thank you for listening to Think Beyond Space, the PDX Workplace Insider Podcast. To follow along and get additional insights from each episode, visit slash Portland. Please also take a minute to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.